Hello and welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about expatriates and the artistic way they've styled their lives around the world. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. Find yourself shipwrecked in a far off place and Dale, welcome to the show. <laughs> Try not to plan too much at all. You know, just be spontaneous. I quit the limiting stories. I really try to overcome that fear. I'm gonna sail again. One more. I got one more sailing. Love her to leave her wild. But it didn't work for me. The American dream wasn't gonna work for me because I didn't fit American dream. I had respect that I was a young star. Now I'm an old guy, and I respect myself. You know what, Jacob? I'm a secret fan. And I prefer to just be secret. And if you can figure out who Dale Dagger is, then figure it out. And if you can't, then don't. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. I'm sitting here with Tim Crossland, who is a fascinating individual, and we're doing it live from Tel Aviv, folks. This is an exciting interview because I actually flew here 99% for this interview. It's kind of exciting for me because it's actually the first interview I've done where I went to the location specifically do the interview. And Tim and I actually have a funny past because I knew Tim in second grade and we reconnected via social media. And just by watching his post on Facebook, I got very interested in his life, his lifestyle. And I noted the fact that he was living in Tel Aviv, a location that I always wanted to go to. And I figured, why not? Let's contact him and see what he's all about. And through our conversations, realize this man has a really inspiring, cool story to share with you all that has taken him around the world many times and through a childhood that many children go through that some wind up on one side of the fence and some wind up on another. And Tim was one of the fortunate ones. And I hope, you know, we can, we can talk a little bit about that and just find out more about you and your life. So welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks. Um, so again, Tim and I were in second grade together. We lost touch, haven't spoken really in 20 years, aside from the few catch-ups we've had since I've been here. Um, I'd kind of just like to start in the beginning. Tim, where'd you grow up? Uh, Orange County. Right. Uh, a little there. mix of uh, Newport, Costa Mesa. And um, and you grew up uh, in a pretty conventional family, or what was your childhood like? Definitely not. Um I grew up uh, with my, mostly raised by my grandparents. Um, my mom actually left um, when I was three. And so I went to live with my grandparents and my dad was in and out of the uh, situation. And then um, when I was around seven, uh, I went to a children's home called Orangewood uh, for a brief period. And then lived with my aunt and uncle and my cousin. And then after a year of living with them, I went and lived in a, uh, another children's home in, uh, Anaheim Hills, uh, California, um, for four years. And so, yeah, I kind of experienced different sides of life, you know, the, the Newport beach lifestyle and then the orphanage lifestyle and then back to the Newport beach lifestyle at 12 uh, I think that's a point that I'd really like to kind of bring across because it fascinates me and I don't meet many people as candid as you have been to me about it and, and in a life situation now where you find yourself, you know, a lot of people either wind up in jail or, mm-hmm. or whatnot. So 
maybe we could talk a little bit about the foster care system mm-hmm. in California mm-hmm. and what that what that's like and what your experience was like. Mm-hmm. So you were taken. I mean, I lost track of you after second grade. Yeah. You, you disappeared <laughs> off the face of the planet. Yeah, yeah. And you came back in junior high, which I yeah. noted your presence, and I think we probably had you know passing conversations, mm-hmm. but. We never like rekindled any type of friendship. It was just kind mm-hmm. of we went through our own life routine and you know, junior high school, right? Terror. Um, so you know, you were taken at seven and put into foster care. What's or Orangewood? What's that like? Uh, it's yeah, it's scary. You know, when you're seven, you don't understand why it's happening, you know, and uh, I think most kids just think that they did something wrong, they just think about all the things they did wrong. And that's what got them to this place. But of course, upon more, uh, closer analyzation, you know that it's really it's the parents and everyone else who didn't do what they're supposed to do. And so you were my, in my position, um, my grandparents were both alcoholics and they were really lovely people. Like they did show a lot of love and they did the best they could. But, um, one night they got, my grandmother got drunk and she called <laughs> social services because my father hadn't come home for a few days. And that was something she regretted for her entire life. So she was trying to punish her father. For not yeah. Home. But realizing that once you get social services involved, you can't go back mm-hmm. and they're on you, mm-hmm. which is their job. And so I was taken away and then my uncle found out about it. He's like the straight laced one in the family, um, not an alcoholic, one in the few. And he took me out and I lived with him and his wife, my aunt and my cousin for a year. But uh, eventually they went through a divorce and they just were in a place where they could take care of me as well. Um, so then I was sent to a children's group home in Anaheim Hills called Canyon Acres. And it's an organization, um, it has a different name now, but it was actually a really good experience. It was on four acres. There was horses. Um, the living quarters were converted barns that they converted um, the stalls into rooms. And there was a bunch of other kids who had been through a lot worse than me. I mean, I just was around a bunch of crazy people that were drinking a lot. But I was with kids who had been molested and were like, their parents were like, crack addicted. I mean, not to mention... Many other things. I mean, my father had issues with heroin, um, and so did my mother, but, uh, they were, I guess what you call functioning, uh, drug addicts. <laughs> and these other kids, you know, they were just, they didn't have the support, the support system. Like they didn't have grandparents or people to look out for them. So yeah, I lived with them for at this place for four years and they were like my family. I did have visits from my grandparents and eventually my father would visit and he got his life together and he after through a lot of therapy um he was able to get the custody of me then and so when i was 12 and um i moved back to newport and i lived in newport and i um that's when i joined um ensign for middle school and yeah i mean i think for kids at 12 years old is hard as it is because every kid is just mean they're scared they want to prove something and it's just it's rough you know and um but i had this weird situation where i was re-entering a life that i had sort of lived prior to being extracted from it so 
I knew a lot of the kids and I knew them from, but from five or six or seven years before. And if a lot had changed, you know, and people forget and they don't value you or think of you as a part of their community. So I was just kind of the outsider, you know, and I was just kind of like this awkward, redheaded, you know, kid that was just, you know, not feeling like I was like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Of course, that was my goal. Like, gotta be like everybody else. Not, the, not, not that I knew really what, what the, what the standard was, you know. And so but, now you're back home and, and did you go back into the foster care system after that? No. Or you were now that was home? it. Then I was home and then for, um, three years and then my dad relapsed and I went to with my grandparents when okay. I was 15. Um, I went to travel to India for nine weeks. In, in high school? Like, in high what school. That? Um, like, how old were you when you did I that? was, I was 14 when I left, actually. You went to India at 14? Went to India, yeah. My, my very good friend, who I did make a couple friends, um, and, and his family's from India, and they were going, and they invited me to go, and I, things were rough at home, and, and the family was like, I think it's a good idea. The, what, the, the family that was, that had their shit together, you know, mm-hmm. they supported me. Okay. To go on an, an, on an adventure and get away from what was going on. So I went and I went for nine weeks and I'd never experienced anything like it. And, um, it changed my life because it made me more confident, made me more worldly, obviously, and made me realize that the things that happen in Newport Beach are just not that important. And they're not connected to a, like a reality that's for, that's common. And when I went back, I was just like, I felt like I grew up a lot and I changed and I, um, of course I was still like, like an outsider, you know, I was, and I even more when I got back from the trip because I was, I felt like I lost all interest to, to integrate into this like weird high school society, you know? Um, maybe can we just touch upon this India experience because I've been to India. Yeah. India is one of the, the most fascinating places to travel and most, most difficult. Yeah. And as a 14 year old to go experience this, I, I can only imagine the influence it had on you. Yeah. And what I know about you and your travels since then, I mean, what kind of effect did it have on you to be exposed that? And did it, was it a good experience? Cause my experience there wasn't necessarily one that makes me want to go back. Yeah. So therefore I'm wondering like the impact it had on you, did it make you want to go out into the world again? Or were you just like, I don't want to see that ever again. I'd rather live in this kind of insulated California bubble. Maybe not Newport Beach, but somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and the world is too crazy because India is mm-hmm. pretty intense. Well, no, I mean, I, I it was a great experience for me. At first, I didn't like how hot it was. I didn't like that the power went out all the time. I didn't like that the water wasn't reliable. And I didn't like that uh the luxury like the sort of the common expectations and things that we had living at home you know we, we necessity things were not available in india like you just weren't finding them and at the time this was like 1995 they didn't even allow like coca-cola in that country like they were very specific about keeping out international brands as much as possible in order to like sell what comes from india so it was very very exotic and I actually really, after, you know, a few weeks, the jet lag, uh, wore off and I really got into the culture and the idea of like playing cricket in the rain, you know, and 
just going with it and just being like, I'm sweaty and I'm dirty and this is just part of India. And you appreciate the smells and all of the, tr- the things that you wouldn't appreciate, you start to appreciate. Um, all the things you would look at and say that's not good, you end up realizing this is part of the culture that without it, it's not, doesn't make it what it is. And, um, yeah, my grandfather was like an adventurous spirit. So he was, uh, he'd gone to naval architecture school. He had sailed around the world many times and he always had stories and he had a subscription to National Geographic. And that was one of my escapes as a kid, you know, to like read this magazine and really transported to the place. And, um, so, so yeah, I really, um, realized that this is like something that I love. I love to travel. And so the bug bit you, the bug bit me, you know, um, yeah, lots of bugs bit me in India. <laughs> lots of bugs, lots of mosquitoes. Okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah. And then you went through your high school year. We went through the high school year together. Mm-hmm. Um, which is never easy for any of us, but we got through it. And, and what happened to you after high school? I mean, did you leave um, home immediately or did you stick around Newport? Well, I did. I, I left. I did not have a good experience going up there. Um, and I went up to Santa Barbara and I was like, Oh, I'm going to get away from Newport beach, you know? And, and, and I really, I just landed into a different type of Newport beach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was a he, I mean, it's known as a party school and there's a reason why. And you can get anything there. And I realized finally that like, I wanted to just be like everyone else. And I didn't want to like think about all the pain of what happened when I was growing up. And so I just said, I'm diving in. So I was like, I'll try anything, you know? And I did. I just tried it all. And I was like a wild man for 10 years. Much. I mean, like 10, you, 10, you, 10 to 12 did years. Did you ever start shooting up or? No, I never did heroin and the, like none of the hard, hard drugs because I was afraid. Like the fear was like my actually on my side. Actually, it helps me stay. I think a lot, you know, and I was never, no, I was like, nope, definitely not heroin. <laughs> Crystal meth. No, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> You know, like, this is not cool. Like, I don't know how you, I don't care what you say. Yeah. I think just to go back a little bit with the experience that you had growing up, you maintained a grade point average that got you into Santa Barbara straight out of high school, which wasn't easy. I mean, Santa Barbara is a very competitive school. Well, I went to the city college. Okay. Yeah. First. And then you transferred. Yeah. Okay. Great. But I mean, I, I, my impression of you is you're highly intelligent. You have a great job. Like, well, I was you, smart and. When I was a kid, I was smart and I read constantly and I would have performed better in school if I had parents or someone around to tell me to do homework mm-hmm. or to help me with my homework mm-hmm. or say, you should go into sports or something. But no one ever said that. No one, there was never anyone there to tell me, like they didn't, no one taught me how to live. You know, I had no idea how to live, you know, um, so then who stepped in your life at some point and helped no. you out? Did you have a mentor or did you just figure it no, out? No, I just figured it out. You know, and Mike, I picked up a couple of things along the way, but, um, I always struggled with the conventional way of doing things and I've always rebelled against them because, um, it's just conventional and I don't, I don't mesh with that, you know? Okay. So this and rebellion, then, where did it lead you? I mean, if you're constantly rebelling against everything, but you're well, also it, partaking in a lot of things. Yeah, it was like, like a very, like, 
bipolar. You know, it's like one minute I'm like, you know, there's this side of me that's like the organized, thoughtful, smart, contributing member of society. And the other side is like frustrated, angry, alienated, pissed off, anti-society, like, you know. Person. So yeah. what what things did you excel at then? What did you realize? Well, I was at? good at um, you know a part of like survival is like living in fantasy. You know, like to create being an only child and, and all the things. You, know, you, you just make things up. Like you you have to create your own environment that you want to live in in order to get away from the one that's existing. So I was good at writing and reading and storytelling and I loved listening to people and I think that's been my best um, gift out of all of the pain and this bad memory and suffering like, that's been my gift um, but practical things are difficult for me you know I mean still to this day the simplest things can be challenging like I still when something's re- like going hard like rough I I, I, I think I, my mind goes into fantasy. Like, okay, I don't, I can't handle this. I gotta, you know, think, like, what, where can I go? You know, like, I need to escape. Like, Which, travel-wise? Travel like, or what, you know, anything. Like, I reach outward, you know, and so that's part of this, part of the balance of life. Like, to, to notice when that's happening and pull yourself back into the, like, like, the inside and knowing that you need to settle what's going on inside and not be, like... Jumping on a plane, going somewhere. So let's go with that. Like jumping on a plane, where did that take you? Those emotions when you were doing that when I was doing that. Well, you know, it took travel me wise. around the world. You know, I just um, I had a my great grandfather like left me some money when I was eighteen, and that I got when I was eighteen, and I was able to finally be in charge of kind of giving myself a gift. You know. Of, of doing whatever I wanted and no one could tell me different. And, um, so I, yeah, I would just go places like anywhere that I wanted to when I woke up, you know, and I decided that I wanted to go there. You just wake up and go. Yeah. Wake up and go. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was really fun. And I met interesting people and I had good experiences and it wasn't ever scary. Uh, no, no, not really. I mean, I wasn't that scared. I'd seen like some weird stuff happen in my life, like as a kid, you know, and so I was never surprised by anything because I know how humans can be, you know, in any class level. I don't care who you are, you know, it's like whoever you encounter, like humans are just complex creatures. They are weird and you can't generalize with humans. You really can't. So no, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid. Did you have a specific place you kind of found yourself going back to? Or was it always just like, oh, I want to go here as a new place and um, try this, I mean, try that? in general, like, energetically, like, I'm drawn to the sea, the ocean. So I always live by the ocean. But I'm a California boy. Like, I generally, like, I love California. And I mostly lived in California. Um, and now I live in Tel Aviv and I live by the sea. <laughs> Again. So yeah, I mean, how did you get to Tel Aviv? What brought you here? And um, so Aviv, what, what, were you, what were you doing for money aside from the little bit that you had inherited? Like, um, I can't imagine that lasted forever. No, it did not. Because I was like, <sighs> like I said, I have no one showed me how to 
balance the checkbook. You know, like everyone was like, "Oh yeah, it ends." It's not the magical plastic card that just keeps going. You know. So what are we doing for money, and then uh, how'd you wind up here? Well, I think you know, over the years, like I, um, yeah, I mean, when I was I thirty, I came, I got, I went to AA, and I was sober, um, and I got sober in, in three years of sobriety, and that gave me a lot of time to not be influenced by outside outside influences. So whenever I was making decisions or I was feeling a feeling, it was just the feeling. It wasn't because I was hungover. It wasn't because I had taken this mind-expanding drug. It was just because I was feeling it. And that was a new concept for me, new experience. And it taught me, the, the, the program taught me how to kind of show up as a human being for life, you know, and to be... And to forgive and let go and to understand that we all come from a different place and you never know, like you never know what a person who's like screaming at you, like what their story is. You just don't know. And it taught me to like have more integrity and I learned a lot of skills and it was really great. So that, you know, allowed me to excel in my professional life because I cleared away all of the wreckage, as they say, and um, all of the mess, and I had clarity. And I, yeah, like I started working in marketing at age thirty. Yeah, I was working. I started working with. I mean, I've always worked in sort of some sort of communications, mm-hmm. um, but I started working in experiential marketing. And I was working with Airbnb and doing. This is the best job I've had. It was working with a team that to create amazing experiences for people to have and it was like creating fantastic experiences so and i of course love creating telling a story through like a fantasy or fulfilling a dream and this is what this company wants to do like a lot of the listings are like in boats or they're in ice castles or something. I mean, it's like anything you want, you can put it in the search engine. And I just love that concept. So I really flourished and I enjoyed working with these good people. Um, while I was working with them and also I worked with an amazing chef, learning a lot about food and service and proper ways of doing the most detailed things like plating food and it's a different art. So working with all these people, you know, I sort of found myself and I found myself working on people that I, that I was comfortable with and I was creative with. Um, and I went on a vacation with a group of friends from Airbnb and we went to Europe. And while I was in Europe, I had a conversation with a friend who I was friends with in San Francisco and she said, come visit me in Tel Aviv. So I said, sure. I was with her cousin actually in Paris. And I thought, all right, I owe her a visit. So I found a good ticket and I came down. And then I arrived and then I met my future husband. And uh, I'd never fallen in love with anyone in my life. Uh, like I just never could trust anyone enough to like really be sort of um, disarmed by them. But he was very disarming. And can we talk talk about that a little bit? I mean, you, yeah. you came to Tel Aviv on a whim. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you fall in love with your future husband, but like, how does that happen? Like, let's let's go through well, the steps of like yeah. landing and finding a man. It's a mix of circumstance and online apps. Okay. <laughs> um, like, 
So my friend, she she does uh, copywriting and writing for. She was doing writing for different French publications, and she had heard about Craft and Bloom, which is this um, cooperative space um, with a nursery and a gallery and a workshop. And she wanted to check it out, so she said, "Do you want to come with me to this space and check it out?" I said, "Sure." So I went, and it was really beautiful, like co-op right across from the sea. And it was just like you walk in, and it's like beautiful nursery, and then you walk further, and it's like all these people like crafting, designing furnitures and objects. And then you go further, and there's a communal like, kitchen space, and there's a gallery, and it was magical. And I met my future brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and like lots of future friends, but I didn't know would be my friends. Then I was on an app, <laughs> relationship app. So you spot, did you spot this, your husband? Like, yeah. Prior to, I didn't see him. He wasn't there actually by coincidence. Okay. Um, but later that day, or maybe it was the next day, I was on an app and I was, and I saw him, and I was like, this guy's really attractive. And uh, But you didn't know he was involved in this? Didn't know. And then I looked on his profile, and it said that he worked with Captain Bill, and I was just about to message him, and he messaged me and first. And then I said to him, I was like, I was just at the place you work. And he said, that's very strange, because it's not open to the public, and you're a tourist from America, and so it's very strange you would end up there. It's very separated from where tourists go. And, uh, well, I was like, well, uh, I think you're really attractive and I'm only here for a week, so let's meet up. And he said, okay, great. Meet me back where you were at Crafts and Bloom at 3 p.m. tomorrow. So we met and we went across the street and we sat on a bluff overlooking the sea and we've been there. It's the sea and it's very, like, inspiring. And, and that's where the magic, as they say, happened. And I just was like, I have to live with this person. I have to be with this person. And um, within the first hour of knowing this person, you decided that this is the man you're going to spend the rest of your life with? <laughs> yeah. It's very... It doesn't make sense. It's just like... Uh, I think it's beautiful. That's great. I mean, this, yeah. is just, this is something I think a lot of people describe, but not many of us have the opportunity to ever experience. So... Yeah. Um, I guess... Yeah. It was just uh, unexplainable. It's one of those things you see in the movies and you're like, this is cheesy. And I... Don't believe it. Mm-hmm. But then when it actually happens, then you just go with it. And so I moved back to, I went back to New York where I was living and, um, I sort of, yeah, I made the decision that I, I asked him, I was like, do you want to come to San Francisco and get married and, and then we can, I'll move back to Tel Aviv with you. And he said, yes. And the reason why, like the marriage, it kind of moved quickly is because, you know, we were in love, first of all, and we knew we wanted to spend the rest of our lives with each other. And in order for us to be together, it was one of those things that needed to be moved forward. Mm-hmm. So we did it. We went, we got married in Mill Valley, actually, we just went to San Francisco. It's this beautiful uh, little town that's uh, kind of nestled inside of a redwood groves. And, uh, yeah, and he, he met my family. Like, not, well, my family is my friends. So mm-hmm. he met all of my friends and, and they loved him, and they were like, they're very excited that we got together. And this happened within like three weeks. Yeah, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, what are you doing? You know, this is very impulsive. And I, I tend to be impulsive, but not with relationships. Like, I never really been in a long term relationship um, because it just it was hard for me to trust people. Really. So, so he's taught me that a lot of how to trust someone. 
and how to love someone for who they are and accepting. Also to look at myself and understand how I am and how I interact. And I've definitely grown you know, a lot. So that's amazing. That's really cool. And Congratulations. You know, it's a different culture. So you know, it's, I don't speak Hebrew and it's a very, very, it's a religious state. So it's important. It's a lot of like, um, culture and tradition here. And that's and you're not Jewish, not Jewish. And I'm not used to like big family dinners. And that's been amazing because his family's been really lovely. And very warm. That's awesome. So just to connect the dots, you, you go to Europe on a vacation with colleagues. You come to Tel Aviv, meet the love of your life, marry within three weeks. Then, or however yeah, long, like two months. Two, oh, two months. Sorry. Yeah. Then move to Tel Aviv. And now you're in Tel Aviv as a non-Jew. Yeah. <laughs> Um, a gay man, mm-hmm. and you don't have a job. Well, I will soon not have a job. Okay, but yeah. so you came with a job lined up. Yes, I interview over the phone uh, through Skype. Okay, with uh, um, a friend of uh, friend of his, and and he knew I was coming, and he has a PR and marketing company. So I gave him my CV and my resume, and we had a interview with uh, one of the founders and the other founder, and then I. Had a job. It's incredible what happens when you just open up to the world, right? Yeah, I was, everything worked out, like, without me. Like, there, there, there was just, it couldn't have gone better, like, really. And I just, you know, I just had been granted, I just have been granted in the last week, actually, a longer visa to stay here longer, which is amazing. And so things are really, have worked themselves out. I mean, it just shows you how much, like, you can only do so much and you can put effort and good intentions, but the results are not as much up to us in the end. Like the absolute result. Mm-hmm. A lot of times our lives are at the whim of others. So you've been together now, what, a little bit over a year and a half, a year and three months or so? Yeah. Things are going good? Things are going good. I mean, marriage is not always easy, but especially when you're two people from different worlds, different cultures, different He's from Israel, I'm from California. It's like, mm-hmm. it's just different, but we have the fundamental beliefs um, in, in humanity and being kind to your brother, kind to your fellow human, um, and being mindful of others and responsible for your actions and just trying to be a good human and contribute to society in a positive way. These are our, this is our common denominator in our relationship. This is what we both believe in. We believe in love and these are like major things. I think this is a really cool thing to touch upon and just kind of like summarize with your life leading up to this moment sounds like it was turbulent and you came to a point where you actually met an individual that had a, a certain amount of influence, a key, touched something within you that opened you up. And after that, everything just naturally fell into place, mm-hmm. which is a common phenomenon I find with a lot of people that I, I get to speak to mm-hmm. on my travels who take that step outside of their comfort zone or whatever they, whatever pushes them outside mm-hmm. of what the, the norm is. It somehow always opens new doors that lead to a new door and another new door that are just walking effortlessly mm-hmm. to a point that is the most beautiful point in your life they've ever experienced, which is what I hear you coming from. It's like you found a man and a lifestyle here in Tel Aviv that you never, ever knew was going to be in your future. 
but you found a point in life and a person to share it with that set you free. Does that sound about right? I mean, yeah. Um, move to a new place that's completely foreign. You learn a lot. You, you, you like rip off the cover. Like you, you start over. You not start over, but you expand your mind. You really, it's what you do. You expand your mind. You learn new ways of living. Um, and it's really, I think it's great for like humans to, if you're into it, if you like it, if you want to, to live in other places around the world and experience other cultures. And it's not easy. Like it's definitely, you arrive and you're totally just turned around and things can be frustrating, but then you meet new people and you understand new things. I understand like new cultures and, and so it's, it's, it's good, but, um, yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I recommend it to people to change their minds. So yeah, <laughs> by, by, yeah. If you could give somebody who's contemplating stepping outside their comfort zone, wanting mm-hmm. to go to a new place, maybe as a traveler or maybe as somebody who wants to genuinely leave their country of origin, move somewhere mm-hmm. new, start a life, start a business for themselves. Like what advice would you give them after going through what you've gone through? Um, be financially secure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the practical side of me. Okay. Speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, because then no matter what, you can get through it. No matter like if you don't find a job in your new place or you don't find a place that you want to live at the price you want, you know, like things can come up obviously in life that can tax us and money usually is the stress. So I say, as much as possible, like try to support yourself and be like secure. Be calculating. Yeah, yeah. Be calculated and also just make sure like you're prepared and you have, um, and that will leave a lot of stress and it will like op- open up, it'll open you up to new energy coming in because you're not stressed and you're not like blocked by like this like stress where you're stuck because of some, some financial burden. Um, but I would also say, um, yeah, I mean, learn the language wherever you go as quickly as possible, even if you can before you arrive, get, get started. Yeah. Because I think knowing the language is a key part of integration and you'll get an insider um, experience if you know the language and you try to be like the culture that you're moving into. That's been a struggle for me because Hebrew is very different from English. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that are different. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm working on that. <laughs> That's good for you, man. I mean, yeah. yeah, just from being here the last few days, it is sounding very complicated. Yes. The language to understand, to grasp the um, letters. Um, but I mean, just getting this experience, this place with you has been magical, super fun. Tim, by the way, is very well connected in this city, and I've been having an amazing time with him. We're actually sipping on $200 Hennessy right now. <laughs> so. Yes. None of us can afford it, but... Gifts uh, from uh, the gifts. gods. Yeah. None of us can afford it, but uh, the circumstances allowed it. <laughs> and I just want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me. And uh, I wish you all the best in everything you do from now on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. 
and I'll see you next time.